Please remain standing as you're able, and will you follow after me as likely we follow after the practice of Jesus and the disciples who would have recited the Shema or what he came to call the Great Commandment. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The scripture this morning is from the 19th Psalm. We saw and read together the first six verses in the call to worship. This picks up in uh, verse 7. And as you know, my practice for the last eight years is to try to memorize it. But in this psalm, there are six different words for law, word, command, precept, ordinance. And I get them mixed up, so I brought a little help this morning. But uh, here is God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes are the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, bringing light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, even much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey, honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned in keeping them. Uh, There is great reward. But who can discern his own errors? Please forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated, please. A couple weeks ago, we... uh, bought a new washer and dryer and so it was installed and lights came on and so I figured no problem. I was a little puzzled as to why they would have given us a thick guidebook and yet also a one uh, one plastic sheet uh, quick start guide. Uh, we don't need no stinking quick start guide. We just started pushing buttons. Well, after a few minutes it became evident we did need the quick start guide. And a few minutes after that, it also became evident we were, that we would need the manuals we started to thumb through it. Sometimes when I think about God's word, law, Torah, ordinance, commandments, decrees, precepts, sometimes I get the feeling like it's that thick guide, the 613 laws that are in the Old Testament. And, and it almost seems oppressive and really unnecessary for, for a man free in Christ like myself. And sometimes I think of the the, uh, one-sheet user guide, like the Ten Commandments, uh, the summary. And and I am tempted to be out from under them and make decisions and take actions as seem right and best to me. And I end up where I ended up a couple weeks ago with, with wet clothes, stuck in a washer, going nowhere. One of the things I think we are tempted sometimes is to think that somehow God's word and God's command are onerous. And they're meant somehow, even though we were brought out of slavery in Egypt, to re-enslave us again. When actually the opposite is true. Just like I needed the guidelines to get the washer to wash and the dryer to dry efficiently and effectively. So I also need the guidance 
that can only come from God. When uh, Jews talk about God's word, they often talk about the first five books of the Bible and even expand to interpretations of it, and they call it Torah. Sometimes it gets, I think, wrongly interpreted as law. Perhaps a better term is guidance. It's kind of guidance that a loving parent is going to give to his or her children to help them navigate some of the choppy waters of life. When I'm making decisions on my own, I'm not always my best self and I'm not always making the best decisions. And when you multiply that by everybody around me, you can see how quickly we can get into trouble. Reminds me of Mickey Gumbel, the founder of Alpha. His story about uh, he lives in the UK. One day he went to his son's soccer game. Well, the referees didn't show. So they looked at him and thought, well, you're a male. You like soccer. Get over here and rest. Well, he tried. And the game got out of hand. The kids were angry. The parents were angry. They were stopping and starting every minute trying to figure out what was going on and what to do next. And then mercifully, the referees jumped out of the car in the parking lot. And suddenly, as they came to the field, order was restored. Chaos turned to something smooth and the game became beautiful. The kids were happy playing it. The parents were happy watching it. And things flowed. In the same way, I think God's word, God's commands, God's ordinances and decrees are that way for us. Not to oppress us and push us down, but to free us to live life as God intended. I don't know if you've ever been driving uh, when the power goes out on the part of town where you're driving. And so the, the stoplights go out. No, if you've ever had that experience and you would think, well, all of us will know where it's going to operate like a four-way stop. So things are going to go smoothly. Not so much. In fact, pretty soon traffic gets congested, people are frustrated, and things do, and traffic do not flow as they might otherwise. In the same way, I think, when we think about God's word, we realize that, first of all, God's word, more than anything else, the Jews would have known this, Jesus would have known this, is a gift to us because it helps our life to flow as God intended. And God's word is both story and particular ordinances or law, but they all have the same intent. For us to live and to flow uh, in, in ways uh, that help us live out the purpose and potential of our creation. And Psalm 19 uh, celebrates this. You may have seen in the notes this morning in the bulletin that C.S. Lewis talked about what a marvelous lyric this was, this, this great poem that Psalm 19. The first six verses praise God for speaking through the world, through nature. Uh, The next seven verses are about God speaking and praising God because God speaks through God's word. And, And Psalm 19 rightly sees God's word as a wonderful gift to us. And there are some beautiful things that happen with God's word that you can read in the psalm. I thought I'd just point out three this morning. The first one is one of the things that Psalm 19 is very clear on is that God's word is something that restores and enlivens. It's like the light makes the light come on in our, in our eyes. There's, there's something about it that has a restorative or rejuvenating um, aspect to it. It reminded me of a man that I came to know in another church more than 30 years ago. His name was Mike. And uh, Mike, when, when he graduated college, went into the Air Force. He was a pilot. He was shot down over Vietnam. And for three years, he was a guest of the North Vietnamese at the Hanoi Hilton. And, uh, and he talked about how he stayed sane and how he made it through those three years. And what Mike said was this. He said, it was the word of God that kept me going. And so, of course, we're like, duh, and we go, like, well, how'd they get a Bible to you? And he's like, no, <laughs> it was here. And it was here. 
He grew up Baptist in Florida. And from the time he was six, his mom and dad were dragging him to Sunday uh, morning Sunday school classes, to evening classes on Sunday night, uh, to training union on Wednesday night, and, and then covering scripture every day at the dinner table. And then once a week he had to memorize the scripture and at Sunday dinner pass it back to the parents. And at the time, Mark, Mike thought it was a rather oppressive thing, rather onerous. There were things he would rather do to live his life freely. But three years in a cell with no idea of when redemption might come, it was those words in his heart that enlivened him, that brought light to his eyes, just as Psalm 19 said that it would. Another thing that Psalm 19 reminds us is that the Word of God is sweet. And as you probably know, um, on Valentine's Day, uh, in, in the Psalmist Day, which of course there wasn't, but had they had one, they wouldn't have had chocolate candy or little hearts because they didn't have sugar. No M&M's, uh, no refined sugars. We know it. the sweetest thing they knew was honey. That was their sweetener. And so uh, in a wonderful bit of poetry, as you may know, when Hebrews write uh, poetry, they rhyme by... Um, by parallel thoughts, not rhyming words. So the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. Parallel to that is, well, I shall not want. Or as we heard in the anthem this morning, um, uh, that the Lord God made us. Okay, parallel thought is, we didn't make ourselves. And so that's kind of how it flows. But they also use uh, uh, other techniques. And one of the techniques they use is like what we might call hyperintensification. So if you repeat gold twice, which we'll get to in a moment, or honey twice, that means like, Super, super sweet. Take the sweet and, and like multiply it times five so that the sweetest thing that they knew was the word of God. And even to this day, in Orthodox schools in Israel, when the children start kindergarten, the first thing they do, first day of school, is they bring honey to each child and put it on their tongue. And they teach them of the sweetness of God's word. It, it is, uh, it's restoring and yet it also adds a flavor to our life as well. And then another promise um, from sign 19 is that it's, it's worth more, more than gold. It's like the most valuable thing you can imagine. And I thought about that, and, and I'm, I'm, I lead a group of pastors, and we're meeting in Oklahoma City this week, and we brought in a guest speaker, and he grew up in Compton, so yes, you could say it for me, he's straight out of Compton. Um, but when he was in eighth grade, in Compton, of course, um, uh, in a very difficult area, difficult neighborhood, difficult situation, raised by a single mother uh, with brothers and sisters and grandmother trying to help. But the eighth grade tradition at that school was, because so many of them never made it to high school, they had eighth grade graduation. And so some children who could afford it in their family might receive a few dollars as a gift. Others who were really fortunate might even get a new pair of tennis shoes. And so... His single mom and his grandmother presented him with a box. With great excitement, he wondered if there would be a few dollars in there or had he somehow miraculously got lucky and got Air Jordans. He could only hope. But he opened the box and to his dismay were two books inside this box. A Bible and a dictionary. And with disappointment, he looked up and his grandmother said to him, Those two books will carry you, challenge you, and grow you throughout your life. Marcus Goodloe, some years ago, walked across the stage and got a Ph.D. 
He speaks to audiences of hundreds and thousands all over the country. He's currently, for better or worse, chaplain to the Oklahoma Sooners on Saturday afternoons and the Oakland Raiders on Sunday mornings. But it all, he said, started with the commitment that his mother and grandmother put into him about the incredible value of the, wor- of the Word of God, and that would be so much more valuable than a pair of wonderful new sneakers or a few dollars here or there. The psalmist put it this way, it's more valuable than gold, even pure gold, which is, again, the hyper-intensification. And I, I can see that. The same Bible that influenced Marcus Goodloe in the 90s is the same Bible that influenced me in the 60s and 70s. And it influenced my parents in the 40s, my grandparents in the 20s, and so on. Shaping and challenging and growing generation after generation more valuable than gold. And I probably don't need to say it, but I will say it, that the Bible, of course, was central in Jesus' own life and practice. He taught clearly from, um, from God's word, wasn't making stuff up. You go to the Sermon on the Mount, you go all throughout the Gospels, and you will find allusions, if not outright quotations, of verses uh, from uh, what we would call the Old Testament. Jesus was clear about the Bible being the word of God. And he said, you know, it's going to be fulfilled and, and needs to be kept every even like uh, crossing every T and dotting every I, every jot and tittle, he would say. And he was very clear, the word of God and its reliability. Another thing was Jesus was very clear in my mind to, to not only uh, learn the word of God and teach it, but to practice it. Uh, there's an amazing story you've probably read where there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus comes by one day and she grabs, in English it says, the hem of his robe. Well, as you may know the background real quickly, Orthodox Jews were supposed to put tassels on the corner of your robe. How you find the corner on a robe, I don't know. But they did. And the tassels reminded them of the 613 commandments. And one of the major beliefs was that when the Messiah came, there would be healing in the tassels, the English word wings. There would be healing in his wings. And so this woman who's bleeding believes she's the Messiah. he's the Messiah, so she grabs for his wings. And she's healed. Friends, if he's not carrying out the word of God, there's nothing there for her to grab. Nothing there for her to tie her faith in him, to him. There's another thing. Jesus teaches and large crowds follow for the... um, the Sermon on the Mount, and we're told that he teaches in, in Hebrew and Greek, it's, it's uh, interesting words that basically mean a lonely place, a deserted place. Translation is they're not growing any crops there. Because if you read carefully in the Torah, you are not allowed to walk on somebody else's crops. And so why in the world would Jesus teach the word of God to 5,000 or more people and let them sit on people's crops? Why would he teach the word of God while breaking the word of God at the same time? It makes no sense. And so because he lives it out and carries it out, he comes to find the largest open place that he can find. So they're not violating God's law. And he begins to teach them God's word. He would have lived it. He would have learned it. He would have prayed it. You look at this at the end of Jesus' life. Look at the last few minutes. My God, my God, he prays. Why have you forsaken me? And as you likely know, that's a direct quote from Psalm 22 with all that that implies both suffering and the end of Psalm 22, which which speaks of a coming vindication. And then another Psalm, Psalm 31, 
at the very last, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's a beautiful thing to say. It's a direct quote from the Bible. He prays it. So what happens when he teaches it and lives it and prays it every day of his life? Well, perhaps the man who knew him the best and lived the longest after Jesus' life was a man named John. And this is what John, perhaps as many as 60 or more years after Jesus said, he was the word made flesh. Do you see what John is saying here? That this man, the son of God, Jesus, who devoted himself to God's word, actually became God's word. Do you see how that could work? Pastor Dinah is preaching in, the, uh, in New Heights in the gym this morning. And one of the things she pointed out when we were studying Tuesday is... Some of the way, one of the ways scholars break down Psalm 19 is this. Verse 1 through 6, God speaks through nature. You know, that, and that's wonderful. 7 through 13, God speaks through God's word. And then verse 14, the last verse, we speak. It's our turn. And notice the flow. God speaking through nature, getting our attention. God speaking through God's word. It's shaping us. And now it's our turn to speak And God ends up speaking through us. It is cliche, but that does not make it untrue. You could be the only Bible that some people will ever read. And God knew it was going to be like that. And it's not just because you want to or you're going to try, but it's because of your life of study and prayer and to the best of your ability with the Holy Spirit living out that word that suddenly you become the word for other people. On this Valentine's Sunday, I would remind you that the scriptures in so many ways is like a love letter from God to us because we are valued. God guides and tells our story to us. But as we study it, pray it, and live it, then suddenly we become God's love letter to the rest of the world.